We are um, in part six of defending the faith. The question we are going to answer tonight is an incredibly important question. Um, And if you are, uh, as you talk to people who are not saved or maybe, um, you know, they belong to a different religion, um, maybe they just kind of got deceived at some point, it's a question that does come up. Is Jesus the only way? Is Jesus the only way to be saved? So is it him and nothing else? And we're going to go through some of the reasons why people object to that, and then we're going to go over reasons why they're wrong to object to that. And so uh, in our in our climate, you know, we, we do understand um, politics plays a role in our lives, for better or for worse, mostly for worse. Um, and so a politician was asked, uh, is Jesus the only way to heaven? Now, that's a very direct question. Is Jesus the only way to heaven? The question that no politician ever wants to be asked. So he replied, I believe that there are many paths to the same place. All people of faith, Christians, Jews, Muslims, animists, everyone knows the same God. Now, I think some people were kind of like, I kind of agree with that until he said animists. Most people don't know what animists are. Animists basically believe that God is in the trees and God is in your pew and he's in your hymnal. And it is, it's not just... We talk about the transcendence of God, that God is can be felt everywhere and he can reveal himself uh, in unique ways. I don't think that Jesus reveals himself through burnt toast that looks like Jesus, you know, or, or things of this nature. But um, I actually saw a package of bacon that was perfectly laid out and it looked just like Jesus in Gethsemane. And I thought, that is clearly the Lord wants me to partake. Um, but... I don't, you know, so we talk about God's transcendence that he is, he's, uh, he can be experienced everywhere, but God's not in the tree. Like, you don't have to chop down the tree to find God. Um, and, and so, because that kind of belief turns into the idea that God is the tree, and God is the, the ocean wave, and, and so anyway, so... People like were like, well, we kind of agree with that until we get to that. And they're like, well, we're not sure. And for, well, I think most people are like, we don't even know what you're saying, but we, you know, we like the way you talk. So then at a town hall meeting, the same politician, the same guy said, he was asked the question, and he said, uh, in a different area of the country with a different audience, he said that Jesus Christ died for his sins And through God's grace and mercy, he could have everlasting life. But then he said, I think Jews, Muslims, and non-believers who live moral lives are just as much children of God as he is. And then when he was talking at a church, when he was invited to speak at a church, he said exclusively, yes, Jesus is the way to, the only way to heaven. So which is it? Is he the way or is he a way? Uh, it unfortunately seems like many times uh, politicians talk out of both sides of their mouth. They can't. They don't want to be pigeonholed. They don't want to be uh, nailed down to a position. So they will kind of give uh, a position to placate the crowd without answering the question. This is the main point that we uh, adhere to. It's on your sheet. The main point: the only way to heaven is through Jesus Christ, who said, "I am the way." the truth, and the life. 
No one comes to the Father except through me. John 14, 6. Jesus also affirmed the antithesis of that point. That is, there is no other possible way that will lead to the Father in heaven. So Jesus says, I'm the way, the truth, and the life. And we've talked about it before that in Greek there is a there is a word like we have, a definite article that is inserted in Greek to show you that it is the definite, the. If the, the, the absence of that Greek word means a way, a truth, a life, but the presence of it means that it's the way, the truth, the life, the only one possible. So Jesus is making the case for his exclusive, uh, the exclusive way for salvation. <clears throat> the counterpoint, what people who disagree with this position say. They say many outside Christianity have examined other religions and have expressions of God, and they conclude there are many who deserve heaven because they sincerely worship God. Also, since God is love and all-wise, he would not assign people to hell without giving them an opportunity for salvation in this life or after death. Well, because of the exclusive way of salvation in Christianity, Christians are painted as intolerant, legalistic, hateful towards people of other religions. Uh, in 2009, there was a survey that reported that 65% of Americans believe that many religions lead to eternal life or heaven. Not just one. 65% of Americans. And allegedly, uh, between 80 to 90% of Americans consider themselves to believe in a God, uh, either Christian, Jewish, or Muslim God. They believe in at least a God. 65% of them believe many religions lead to eternal life. So here are three reasons that people give as to why they think sincerity in any religion will lead them to heaven. Number one, a God of love will show compassion on those who honestly seek him. A God of love will show compassion on those who honestly seek him from whatever religion and will not condemn them to hell. Because God is love. And if since God is love, he cannot possibly condemn sincere believers to hell. That would disprove him being a God of love. This is what they're saying, not what we believe, just so we're clear. However, why do people think that sincerity, feeling, is greater than truth? We've talked about it before. You can sincerely believe something that is incredibly wrong. And it doesn't matter how sincerely you believe that thing. Uh, the illustration I gave was standing on a roof and saying, I sincerely believe that gravity will not affect me. Okay, well, the proof is in the pudding. The proof is in the splat. Because you'll step off and your, your sincerely held belief that gravity does not exist or does not apply to you will be met with the truth that it does. And you'll only have a couple seconds, depending on how high of a building you're on, to make your determination, that was a mistake. So sincerity is not the definition. Uh, it, it does not determine how truthful something is. Number two, a broad interpretation of Scripture allows salvation apart from the exclusive Old Testament offer to the Jews and the exclusive New Testament offer through Jesus. A broad interpretation of Scripture allows salvation apart from 
the Old Testament and New Testament. This is what sincere believers in God think. People point to Micah 6, 8. It's one of, I love this verse. It's a beautiful verse in Scripture. It's a great reminder. Um, they point to Micah 6, 8 as the basis for this argument. It says, what does the Lord require of you? Act justly, love mercy, and walk humbly with your God. Now, that sounds really good. But the problem that people make is that they're taking that Scripture out of context. They never ask the question, who is Micah writing to? What religion do these people already belong to? He's not talking to Gentiles. He's talking to Jews who are in the Jewish religious system. These are people who go to the temple and offer sacrifices. They pay their tithes. They are ceremonially clean. But they were disobeying, you know, in some regard. So he's not talking to pagans. He's not talking to the irreligious, unreligious Gentile nations who don't know anything. He's not saying, look, this is all you have to do in order for God to approve of you. He's saying specifically, you, Jews, who live in the Jewish religious system, these things you're missing out on, and this is what God requires of you. Act with justice. Love mercy and walk humbly before your God. Because the land they were living in, there was injustice going on all the time. There was the arrogance of the religious leaders. And they hate poor and treated them like outcasts and, and didn't want anything to do with them. And so Micah is saying, guys, we need to get back on track in these three areas. Not saying, hey, that's all you have to do in order to be saved. They also look at John ten sixteen, where Jesus said, that he had sheep that were not of this fold and that he must bring them in. Now, I can't even tell you. I, would, I, like, I love to hear people's interpretation of that scripture. That Jesus has sheep not of this fold and he must bring them in. I've heard people say that right there is scriptural proof of aliens. I'm like, what? I'm like, no, he's got sheep not of this fold. That means he's got sheep and other sheep folds or sheep pens, like on, you know, Jupiter or and, and somewhere in the Andromeda galaxy. And so he's got to bring them in. And I'm like, that is so ridiculous. There may be aliens. There may be. But I don't believe you can make that scripture refer to that. What I believe that scripture refers to is there were, in many times, God-fearing Gentiles that were not Jewish, and so they were not in the Jewish religion, but they were God-fearing. And so Jesus is expressing, I have people that aren't Jewish, but they love God. And, and if you go all the way back to Genesis, that we read the Old Testament with the Jewish lens, which is really good, and we should, but the downside is we also read it before the Jewish uh, religion and the Jewish identity was existed. So Abraham lived in Mesopotamia, and he was surrounded by polytheistic uh, people. He lived in a city, Ur, of the Chaldeans, and they worshipped many gods. He felt like that's not right. He felt like, there is, I believe there's only one God, and, um, and I don't know who he is, but I'm not going to worship these other gods. I believe there is one God, and I'm going to worship him. And as Abram left, uh, which obviously he became Abraham later on, when he left his family, when he left this, his religion, his polytheistic religion and all this stuff, God began to reveal to him. And God said that he credited 
um, Abram's faith in a God as righteousness. So Abram necessarily wasn't being righteous because he didn't know what he was supposed to be doing, but he just believed there was a God. There was one singular God, and so God took that and credited credited it to him as righteousness. So Abram was one of those sheep, you know, technically speaking, he would have been a sheep not of this fold. But God grabbed him and began to reveal to him. Um, there were the Ethiopian eunuch um, in, in the book of Acts. He's um, Ethiopian, a eunuch, and he's reading a copy of a scroll from Isaiah, and he doesn't understand what he's reading. And so Philip, boo, appears and says, do you understand what you're reading? And he's like, how can I? Nobody explains it to me. So Philip says, well, let me sit next to you, and I'll explain it to you. And Philip does. The guy gets saved. He says, hey, there's a puddle of water. Can you dunk me real quick? And I'm thinking, how deep is that puddle? But whatever. So he dunks him really quick, you know, maybe does the Methodist method or whatever and just, you know, sprinkles him. He gets baptized, and he is a Gentile convert to uh, Christianity and a sheep that was not of the Jewish fold. So uh, people look at Scripture, and when they read it, they start to, ooh, it's talking about aliens. Ooh, it's talking about this. Uh, Just let Scripture speak for itself and figure out the most common sense approach that how would the Jewish listeners who read it or heard it first, how would they have understood the text? Um. So we definitely don't want to cherry-pick scriptures out of context to justify beliefs. We want to understand what the scriptures say. And the third thing, the third way that sincere believers in God think they'll go to heaven um, is they say that elementary logic leads to salvation through many religions. Elementary logic leads to salvation through many religions. They say since there's a supreme being whom all religions worship, And since man is seeking God through many different sources and religions, then obviously he would allow himself to be approached by very different means. Yet, since he's a supreme being, doesn't it make sense that he would dictate how he wants to be approached? I've already told my kids, the minute I hold that diploma in my hand, you will call me Dr. Frazier. Dad will not work. You will approach me the way I want to be approached. <laughs> and Angela is already working on the, the toddlers. Okay, say, hi, Dr. Frazier. And so they'll, they'll do it. It's pretty funny. But if there's a supreme being, wouldn't he tell us how he wants to be approached? Wouldn't he want obedient worshipers to approach him in his chosen way and method? Yes, that makes sense. And clearly he has, which is why he did. In Scripture, uh, so this is this is their defense, the defense they give for why they will go to heaven, and it's pretty much all questions and questions phrased like accusations. For instance, the first one: What right does Christianity have to claim it knows the exclusive way to heaven? What right does Christianity have to claim that it knows the exclusive way to heaven? So rather than defend their position, they go on the, uh, they go on the attack. And they attack the exclusive Christian position by accusing it as narrow, intolerant, legalistic, and arrogant. And then they express disgust in a view that excludes them. 
The second question they'll ask is, aren't those who claim to have the only way to heaven negative and intolerant and narrow-minded? This argument attacks not the facts, but the feelings and the perceived motives behind evangelicals. They're just trying to exclude everybody. We're just trying to edge people out of heaven and make it some exclusive club. But we, all the while, we're sending missionaries into every country on earth to preach the gospel so that everybody can hear and everybody can accept Christ, which completely negates their, uh, their, uh, their opinion and their, their reason for uh, believing that we are intolerant and narrow-minded. We want everybody to hear the gospel. If they hear it and reject it, that's on them. But if they never hear it, that's on us because we are commanded to go into all the world and preach the gospel. We don't believe like the Jehovah's Witnesses believe. The Jehovah's Witnesses believe that, that the heaven is made up of 144,000 saints. God capped it. God said, look, real estate up here is at a premium, so I only have enough room for 144,000 of you. 144,001, I'm sorry, bink, you get, you get plinked down to hell or the underworld or whatever they believe. So they believe that only 144,000 are saved. You know what the biggest problem for Jehovah's Witnesses now are? There's more than 144,000 of them that have died and gone to the afterworld. So what do they do? Well, I've got to knock on more doors than the other guys who've already died and gone ahead of me. I've got to be such a better soul winner. I've got to do more, go more, save more, give more. All of this, I've got to work more so that I can be saved and get into God's heaven I mean, do, you th- do you realize how ridiculous that is? First of all, that's a works-based salvation, which God explicitly says is not the way it works. And secondly, what if you're that guy in heaven and you knocked on a whole bunch of doors and gave out a whole bunch of tracks, a watchtower and all this stuff, and you're enjoying heaven with Jesus, and all of a sudden Jesus grabs the back of your shirt, you know, and says, I'm sorry, um, somebody knocked on one more door than you did. And so they're in and you're out. They are now the 144,000th and you are out. That's a ridiculous view of the afterworld. But unfortunately, that is the way that some of them think, that we're trying to edge people out of heaven. They also ask, if Jesus is the only way, why would God allow billions in other religions to die in ignorance and go to hell? Why hasn't God done anything to save all these people who are allegedly dying in their own ignorance? You mean, why hasn't he done anything more than having the second member of the Trinity be born of a virgin, preach all over the countryside, performing miracles, die on a cross for their sins, be raised to life on the third day, ascend into heaven in the full view of many witnesses and have over 500 people witness that and then take that message and preach it all over the world for 2,000 years? Why hasn't he done anything more than that? It's ridiculous. And the last objection they have is since the Bible has so many errors, and right there you're wrong. So, you know, it's like, uh, I'm going to stop you right there, but we'll, we'll let them keep going. Since the Bible has so many errors and Christians are wrong on other scientific facts, such as evolution, don't even get me started, The question is, how can they be right on the idea of exclusive salvation? Well, there's not much that's even right about their question, their objection. First of all, the Bible does not have errors. 
Secondly, Christians are not wrong on scientific facts. Now, the church has been wrong and Christians have been wrong on scientific facts. The Bible's not wrong on scientific facts. I can have a view based on what I know, but when I get the truth, it's my job to change my view presented with the facts. The theory of evolution is not a fact. It is a theory because it's unprovable. And it's actually easier to disprove the theory of evolution than try to prove it. In order to prove the theory of evolution, you have to have intermediaries. You have to have a you have to discover the presence, the existence of something in the throes of evolution. You've got to discover a chimpanzee that is evolving into playing the cello without being taught. You've got to find a salamander who is evolving into a shark. You've got to be able to find things that are intermediaries. They're in the process of evolving into another species or another thing, not just adapting to different climate changes or or whether the salt water that they were accustomed to starts getting slowly flooded by fresh water and so you can the animal will adapt there's a shark that can swim in fresh and salt water um, and so these animals are adapting over time uh, are they evolving no because they're not becoming whales they're not becoming a completely different species or different different completely different kind of thing they are still a shark they're still whatever god created them to be so it's a theory not a fact. Um, yes, there were unpopular held beliefs by the church in the past. For instance, that the sun revolved around the earth. We know that's not true. Uh, we know the earth revolves around the sun. Um, the, the concept that the earth was at the center of the galaxy um, or the universe, and that's not true. It's not even the center of its own solar system, not the center of its own galaxy, and certainly not the center of its own universe. That's not important. The Bible never says that it is. And so we can be wrong on some scientific facts, but the Bible is not wrong. And so that's the source of truth. Um, So we can be right on the issue of salvation because there's one thing we do claim to know about, and that's theology, and that's uh, soteriology is salvation, the, the study of salvation. And so we're, you know, we're not all scientists, we're not all... Uh, biologists, we're not all, you know, experts in all these other things, but there's one thing we should know, and that's the Word of God. And this is what the Word of God says. So this is why we believe Christianity is the exclusive way to heaven. And I'm going to give you eight reasons. The Bible claims that Jesus is the exclusive way to heaven. The Bible makes the claim. In John 14, 6, Jesus said of himself that he was the way, the truth, and the life. He expressed himself the exclusionary nature of salvation. He said, no one comes to the Father except through me. And so Jesus implied the opposite, that those who don't come through him will not reach heaven. Uh, Scripture also said that no one... uh, you. So we have an issue with um, Jews and Muslims because Christians, Jews, and Muslims all come back to the same uh, heritage, Abraham. Uh, For Jews and Christians, Abraham uh, begat Isaac, and then the line continues. Isaac goes all the way down. the, the, the The lineage goes all the way down until Christ. And so for us, you know, that that's good. That's where our spiritual lineage begins with Christ. Uh, accepting him. Uh, obviously for Jews, you know, 
that's it. Malachi is the last book of their Bible. They don't believe in a New Testament because they don't believe the old one is old. Um, so if you ever talk to a Jew, please don't call it the Old Testament. Um, it's called the Tanakh. Uh, that's what we call the Old Testament, but for them it's called the Tanakh. Um, so, but the Muslims, their ancestry, their, their lineage goes back to Abraham as well, but theirs goes through Ishmael. Um, Ishmael was the son of Hagar, the Egyptian, and Abraham, and so that's where their lineage. But all three religions come back to Abraham. And Abraham, again, was the guy who said, I reject all these gods. I'm going to worship one God. So Christianity, Islam, and uh, Judaism are the three largest monotheistic religions. They believe in one God. You've got Hinduism and Buddhism that are more polytheistic. Certainly Hinduism is. Um, so we all kind of claim the same God. Elohim for the Jews, Allah for um, the Muslims, and God. Uh, we got really, you know, creative with that one. Um, we don't have a—that's just our English word for God, the supreme being, you know, for Christians. Uh, theos in Greek. Um, so we all kind of claim the same heritage. And so it can be easy for us to say, well, we all worship the same God, because that's what they'll say. We all worship the same God. But what Jesus said is, if you don't have the Son, you don't have the Father. And you can't have the Father if you don't accept the Son. If you, if you refuse to accept the Son, the Father rejects you. He rejects you. And that's incredibly important which is why Jesus makes the claim, no one comes to the Father except through me. Muslims, it doesn't matter how devout you are. Jews, it doesn't matter how devout you are. If you reject the Son, you are rejected by the Father. There will not be a big heaven party with Jews, Muslims, and Christians. If they reject the Son, the Father has cut them off, which is one of the reasons why Paul talks about that we Gentiles who have accepted Christ are grafted in to the tree, and the unbelieving Jews who can claim that, that lineage to Abraham are cut off because it doesn't matter if they can go all the way back to Abraham on their family tree. Um, they do not accept Christ, and because they do not accept Jesus Christ, they are cut off, and we are grafted in. So Acts 4.12, it says, There is salvation in no one else for there is no other name under heaven given to people by which they must be saved. Peter is preaching in the Jewish temple, and he offered them salvation. Now, these are Jews who didn't think that they needed to be saved. Because every year at Yom Kippur, they killed a goat, they sprinkled blood on everybody, they got their sins forgiven, and it was this amazing moment, and they were all like, yay, we're forgiven. Well, now, at this moment in time, uh, Peter is saying you are no longer saved by Yom Kippur's, uh, the Day of Atonement's rituals. You are only saved by Jesus Christ. Now, I've shared this before, but for the sake of those of you who were not here, I'll do this real quick. So there's a Jewish historian. His name is Josephus, and he said in his book, uh, Antiquities, he said that 40 years before the destruction of Herod's temple, Yom Kippur stopped being spiritual. It stopped being significant. God stopped accepting the sacrifice of the goat. What happened? Well, previously, they would take two goats. The priest would lay his hands on the goats. He would confess the sins of Israel on one of them, uh, over them, both. He would, sl he would uh, 
he would slit the throat of one goat. The blood would pour out. He would take the, the blood and put it in, It would go in a bowl. He would sprinkle the people with the blood. He'd sprinkle the Torah scroll. He'd sprinkle the, the stuff in the Holy of Holies. It was the one day a year he could be face-to-face with God on Yom Kippur. <clears throat> um, and so the other goat, when they're confessing the sins of Israel over that, a man takes the goat into the wilderness. It's called the Azazel, or our word, scapegoat. This goat is taken into the wilderness and he's chucked off a cliff. And went so and what happens is before that goat, the scapegoat, is led into the wilderness, they take this crimson sash and they cut it in half. Half of it goes around the goat's neck, half of it goes around the temple doors. So when the guy is leading the goat off the cliff and everything, he throws the goat off. When that goat dies, who is bearing the sin of Israel, the crimson sash goes from scarlet to white. And so everybody standing at the temple doors can see the exact moment that their sins are forgiven. As Isaiah said, though your sins be like scarlet, I will make them as white as snow. And so Yom Kippur was this mystical, spiritual moment where they knew that God had accepted the sacrifice, God had forgiven the sins because the scarlet thread on the temple door went from red to white. But Josephus makes this statement in his book that 40 years before the destruction of Herod's temple, that stopped happening. 40 years before the destruction of Herod's temple, the crimson sash stopped turning white, it appears that God has stopped accepting our sacrifices. He will not forgive our sins. Herod's temple was destroyed in 70 A.D. Forty years before the destruction of Herod's temple is 30 A.D., approximately the time when Jesus Christ was sacrificed. And the writer of Hebrews says that God will no longer accept the blood of bulls and goats because he has accepted a once and for all sacrifice to cover the sin of the whole world. Why would he ever accept the blood of a goat when he's already accepted the blood of his son, Jesus? And so this is why it's incredibly important. The Jews, as devout as they may be and as great of spiritual heritage as they have, if they reject the son, God has rejected them because God has provided one sacrifice to cover their sins and they've rejected that. And so they are not, uh, they are not saved without, apart from a relationship with Jesus Christ. This is why Peter told them in Acts 4.12, there is no other name under heaven given to people by which we must be saved. There is salvation in no one else because Jesus Christ is the way, the truth, and the life. Number two, rational arguments exclude the validity of, of other religious claims about salvation. Rational arguments exclude the validity of other religious claims about salvation. Jesus repeatedly claimed to be God. Now, this is something that some people of other cults, like the Mormons and the Jehovah's Witnesses, dispute. But they're not reading the Bible because the Bible says he repeatedly claimed to be God. He accepted worship as God. People called him God and the Son of God, and he did not correct them, something that he would have had to do had he not been God. He demonstrated that he was God through healings and miracles and raising uh, of the dead, predicting the future, forgiving sins, raising, rising from the dead himself. In Jesus' claims, he was either a lunatic, a liar, or he was the Lord of lords. He can't be all three, and he has to be one. 
he cannot be a good teacher if he was either of the first two. He can't be a good teacher if he's crazy. He can't be a good teacher if he's a liar. The only way he could be a good teacher is if he is truly the Lord of Lords. So number three, the unique inclusive plan of Christianity that Jesus died for everyone in the world implies that all other religions and plans of salvation are excluded. All other plans of salvation and other world religions are excluded. His death meant that a death must occur for salvation. No other religious leader died for the salvation of their people. Buddha didn't die for the salvation of their people, his people. Muhammad didn't die for the salvation of his people. Abraham or you know any of the Jewish patriarchs, they didn't die for the salvation of their people. They were sinful people. But every one of them acknowledged bad behavior or sin and their desire for good behavior, righteousness. Not one of the other religions can save because none of them offer a plan to completely deal with the issue of sin. Number four, God rules out all other religions, all idolatry, and all other claims of salvation. He rules them all out. The God of the Bible demands, repeatedly demands, exclusive worship, and he rules out any other gods. Isaiah 42, 8, he said, I am Yahweh, that is my name. I will not give my glory to another or my praise to idols. Isaiah 43, 10 and 11, he says, No God was formed before me, and there will be none after me. I, I am the Lord, and there is salvation. There is no other Savior but me. Isaiah 45, 5, I am the Lord, and there is no other There is no God but me. I mean, three times in one book of the Bible, he is explicitly saying, there is no other God. You can believe what you want to believe, but the reality is if you believe anything else, you're deceived. There is no other God. There is no other way of salvation. Excuse me. I need to take a drink. Imagine, based on some passages in Isaiah, imagine that God saying the following to idols, demanding that they prove their claims to be valid. Imagine God saying to them, bring your arguments, you you idols, bring your arguments before me. Set up one of your idols and let him predict the future. Let him predict what's going to happen or what has happened in the past that we may think about our past actions and know how to direct our future lives. Idol, if you're a god, Please tell me what the future holds so we can know that you're a God. Do something, either good or bad, that will astound us so that we realize how great you are. You idols are less than nothing. You are worthless. Those who choose you are detestable. Speak to us or listen to us so that we can, even, so that we can know that you are right. But no one has ever heard any speech from you, so you have never proven to anyone that you are God. If God's offer of salvation is exclusive, then it makes sense for him to denounce salvation claims through any other methods. If you can only be saved through him, then why would he offer any, any uh, credence to any other method? But if there is no credence to any other method, he should explicitly state 
that salvation is exclusive. And that's exactly what he repeatedly does. So that's what God does throughout the Bible. He calls people to repent of rebellious idolatry. He calls them to return to him. If God tolerated other religions, then he would be violating his own nature as the one and only God because he knows they're worthless. If he's the one and only God and he tolerated these other religions, then that would go against his very character and the exclusive nature of salvation. Number five, the exclusive nature of other religions contradicts the claim that sincere worshipers will go to heaven. The exclusive nature of other religions contradicts their own claim that sincere worshipers will go to heaven. People think that Christianity is the only exclusive religion out there and that other religions are inclusive, that everybody gets to go to heaven and Christians are just intolerant and narrow-minded. Anybody who thinks that doesn't know anything about any other religion because Jewish people might say, yeah, you know, you can believe what you want to believe. But that's not true. Their religion teaches it's exclusive. That, that for them, you have to be Jewish. Now, you can convert. You, don't, you know, if you're Scottish, you can convert and be Jewish or, you know, something. <clears throat> but uh, you, you, you have to convert. In Islam, um, they Islam is interesting because they believe that we're all born Muslims. And we are apostates by being another religion. And that's what justifies in their religion for, you, for them to kill you is because you're an apostate. And you can say, whoa, 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 whoa. I never said I was going to worship Allah. I never adhered for a moment to Islam. And they would say, it doesn't matter. You were born a Muslim because you were born you know, by the will of Allah. And so uh, because you were born as a Muslim and you live as a Christian, you're an apostate. And so we can kill you if you don't convert or reconvert or whatever. But the reality is every one of these religions is exclusive. Christianity is not the only exclusive religion. Every one of these religions is exclusive. Hinduism requires one thing. Buddhism requires one thing for, for your salvation and for your eternal bliss and all this garbage. Uh, is, uh, Islam and Judaism, every single one of these religions is exclusive in nature. The only people that aren't exclusive are the Unitarian Universalists. And these people just don't know what they're talking about. Unfortunately, you'll see it pop up. And it looks so, uh, what is it, Souffre de Perir or something like this? I don't, it looks like suffering of something. I don't know. But it's in Spanish. It's a Unitarian Universalist church. There's one in Katy. And uh, basically... You can come there and you can believe anything you want to believe because we're all just going to sing Kumbaya and you can love Jesus or you can love Muhammad or you can, you know, you can be gay, straight, you can be a, a, a transgender, you can be anything you want to be, uh, believe anything you want to believe. We're, we're just going to worship. Um, you can believe in 20 gods. You can believe in 2,000 gods. It's okay. We're all going to the same place. What a load of baloney. That's the only inclusive religion in the world, pretty much, that you can believe whatever you want to believe and everything's fine. These people need to make up their mind. Um, every one of those religions 
you have to worship their gods, you have to do things their way, you have to believe what they believe. Those who support the, quote, sincere worshipers theory ignore the fact that religions are diverse in nature and almost every single one of them offer an exclusive method of being saved or entering into the afterlife. They can't all be right because they all contradict each other on the path of salvation. I, said, I think I said before, you know, this is why it drives me crazy when people have those coexist stickers on their car. They mean, well, why can't we all get along? Why? Because the people who make up the sea and coexist want to kill everyone else on that bumper sticker. In their religion, they are justified in murdering everyone else, the Jews and the Christians and the Hindus and the Buddhists, because they are considered apostates from Islam, the crescent moon represented on the coexist sticker. That's why it doesn't work, why we can't coexist, because they all contradict each other on the path of salvation. What God or gods you should worship, what the afterlife will be like. Contradictory truths can't be right. If you have two teenagers and they come to you and they give you, they, you ask a question and they give you two completely different answers, two completely different versions of the same event, they can't both be right if they contradict each other. If they contradict each other, only one of them can be right. Number six, the unique claim of the Bible that Jesus was raised from the dead is superior to the lack of resurrection in all the other major religions. You know who didn't come back from the dead? Abraham. You know who didn't come back from the dead? Muhammad. You know who didn't come back from the dead? Buddha. You know who didn't come back from the dead? Vishnu, Krishnu, or any of those other Hindu gods. None of them came back from the dead. All other religions are without a resurrection story because all those other religions are garbage. They're not true. Jesus said of himself, I am the resurrection and I'm the life. No one takes my life. I lay it down. And if I lay it down, I can bring it back up again. I can be ra- I can raise. All other religions promise deliverance in death or through death. And if you if you don't get it right the first time, that's okay. You can always go for round two, or round three, be reincarnated. I uh, know some people who are consider themselves to be Southern Baptists. That's where they grew up. And so I was talking to them, and I said, well, you know, uh, what do you believe about this? What do you believe about that? And they're like, oh, you know, I, I'm pretty much, I believe, uh, I'm a Southern Baptist, but I do believe in reincarnation. I'm like, well, then you're not a Southern Baptist because Southern Baptists don't believe in reincarnation. There is one chance it is appointed unto man once to die, and then the immediately following thing is judgment, not, hey, you get to be born a, a dog. And, tra- you know, oh, this is fun. I'm a dog now. And, this is- and if you don't get that right, which how can you not get that right? You're a dog. What does a dog do? But whatever. And so you, you continually get reincarnated as greater until you're, you're reincarnated as a human. And if you don't get that right because you're a horrible human being, that's okay. Because when you die, you can try again and be another human, born of a baby. And, and you know, born of a baby, obviously, born as a baby. Um, and, you know, get to try it all over again. You know what that tells people? Don't make a decision about salvation now because you can always wait until after you die. No, you can't. Death is the end. 
That's the final exam. There, are, there is no late work accepted after the final exam gets turned in. That's the end. When you die, then the judgment. <clears throat> so none of the other leaders of any other religions have ever been raised from the dead. Um, yet how is it that followers of these religions look to dead men to provide an afterlife for themselves when they've never demonstrated power over death? If they can't raise themselves from the dead, how could they give me any advice on how to get into the afterlife? Well, the only person that can is Jesus because he died and came back to life. Number seven, no one can love God or come to God while he rejects his son whom he sent to this earth. Jesus said in John eight forty two. If God were your father, you would love me because I came from God and I'm here. For I did not come on my own, but he sent me. John 5, 23. Anyone who does not honor the son does not honor the father who sent me. Jesus was clear that when you reject him, you are rejecting the father. You're rejecting God. In John three eighteen, he said, anyone who believes in me is not condemned but anyone who is, does not believe is condemned already because he has not believed in the name of the one and only Son of God. You can't be in fellowship with the Father if you reject fellowship with the Son. That's it. Number eight. The examples of those in other religions who knew they were not saved but turned to Christianity to be saved. This is why we know Christianity is the exclusive way to heaven. There were people who belonged to other religions, Jews, Muslims, Hindus, Buddhists, animists, all Unitarian Universalists, even some of those people. They knew they were part of a religion, and they knew something was wrong. They knew they were not saved, and so they came to Christ and were saved. The New Testament is full, actually, of people who were hungry for God. And they were devout Jews. They were religious leaders like Nicodemus. They were uh, well-influential people like Zacchaeus. These were people who are zealous for God. Paul, the Apostle Paul, zealous for God. He's a part of the Jewish religious system. And he is leaving. He, he is heading to Damascus. He's leaving Jerusalem, going to Damascus with warrants for arrest and, and uh, execution of Christians, as he's walking to Damascus, he has the Damascus Road experience. It works out really well that it happened on the way there, because that's what we call it. So he has the Damascus Road experience where he's blinded, and everybody around him falls down, and they can see this bright light, but they can't hear the voice. He hears the voice, and the voice says to him, Paul, why are you persecuting me? And Paul, confused, says, Lord, because clearly he understands God is speaking to him. He said, Lord, when, when have I ever persecuted you? I'm doing what I'm supposed to be doing. I'm killing the Christians. I'm killing these people who are, who are heretics. And he says, when you've done it unto the least of these, you've done it unto me. And Paul recognizes that it is Jesus Christ who is speaking to him, and that by persecuting Christians, he's persecuting God. And so he has this uh, very dramatic uh, salvation experience. Uh, because 
He was a Jew, devout, and Jesus said, you can't follow that way any longer if you want to follow God. If you reject the Son, you reject the Father. Nicodemus, a religious leader and scholar, he was told by Jesus, you've got to be born again. Paul was a Pharisee, as I mentioned. He was part of the religious council. He recognized Jesus as a Savior. There were pagans in Thessalonica that they turned from their idolatry to Christ. As I mentioned before, the Ethiopian eunuch was a Gentile, trying to understand Jewish scripture. When Philip told him, it pointed to Christ. He didn't say, oh, you just need to become a Jew, man. It's, it's so much easier that way. And God will accept you because you'll be, you'll be a, a convert, but it'll be totally cool. No, Philip says, look, you've got to accept Christ. If you don't accept Christ, there's no salvation for you. Proverbs 14, 12, it says, There is a way that seems right to man, but its end is the way to death. And that is the culture we live in today, where everybody has their own version of truth. You can believe what you want to believe. As long, you know, hey, man, we're just going to all hold hands and sing kumbaya and, and you know, just, you know, be totally tolerant of each other. And why you got to be so intolerant? That is such a lie from the enemy. It is not that we're being intolerant. It's that we're being loving. And we love you too much to let you be deceived. If you see someone who wants to step off of a building, you're going to tell them the truth. You're going to be truthful with them. You're going to love them enough to try to intervene. And that's exactly what we as Christians try to do. There is a way that seems right to man, but it leads to death. Our job is to make sure that we help people see the 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 falsehood of these religious systems and recognize that there's salvation through Christ. Now, we deal with these people who think that sincerity is all that counts. And so here's a modern illustration to argue against that point. Let's suppose that Jesus is alive today and he comes to you and he says, I want you to reach out to me on this website address. I'm going to give you the website address and there is how you can contact me. So we're like, oh, okay, well, that's fine. So he gives you the website information. Your common sense tells you you can't just enter any combination of letters and characters into Google and get where you want to go. You can't type in mail.google.com and expect to go to CNN's website. It doesn't work that way. If you want to go somewhere, you have to enter it exactly the way that they have designed it to be entered. Can we all understand that and agree with that? If somebody says, hey, I want you to text me, you can say, well, what's your number? And they say, just put anything in. It doesn't work that way. If, you wanna, if I want to text you, I need to know the exact phone number of your phone so that the message that I want to send to you gets to you, to your phone. So if there is an exclusiveness in the way we communicate to each other, why wouldn't there be an exclusiveness to the way God has communicated to us with the most important message about being saved from sin? If we are so careful, let me tell you something. One time I was at, I was at Bible college, and I needed to go to a government website to look something up. And I typed .com when I meant .gov, and it did not take me where I wanted to go. I was like, oh, God, oh, Lord, oh, please, please minimize, please, Lord. I hope nobody was looking. I'm like, I'm at, the, I'm at my Bible school library, and I, I think I'm going to get kicked out for that. 
Like, thank God the page didn't load, but it loaded enough that I knew that's not where I wanted to go. And so if we are so careful with the way we communicate and, and the exact website address or the exact phone number we want to communicate with someone, then we would expect that God would be so explicit and so exclusive with communicating something incredibly important to us. We need to, be, we need to understand that is incredibly important for our eternal destiny, that God was exclusive. Do you all have any questions? Any comments, any, anything that kind of popped in your head while I was talking? Yes, Carolyn. There are definitely people that are, and a lot of times that antagonism leads back to hurt. A lot of times the people that are antagonistic towards Christianity are people that grew up in, in Christianity. They grew up in church. They were wounded. They were abused. They were mistreated or their family was or something happened. There's a wound that's never healed. No one has ever expressed love and grace to them. I would say don't give up on somebody like that. Understand they are hurt. That's where that sarcasm and antagonism comes from. Uh, but at the same time, um, th- you know, they they're clearly need to deal with some stuff. Uh, so they're, they're not ready yet, but we should still be planting seeds of the gospel uh, as we're able to. Um, you know, so, again, I, I, I don't want you to give up. Oh, man, you know, forget you. You know, you're not going to be saved, so, you know, just, you know, beat it. Um, we still need to do what we can. But definitely, um, there are some people that have, um, they've, ex- they, they grew up in church and they know a lot about Christianity and it didn't produce for them what they expected, and so they got sold a version of Christianity was like a self-help version of it as opposed to what it really is. Um, it's not, a, as I said before, it's not a call to come and thrive. It's a call to come and die, and die to yourself, die to your wants, and, and when you put yourself last and his desires and will first, then you never get caught off guard when bad things happen uh, because we live in a world where bad things happen to everybody, not, not just good people, good people, bad people, indifferent people, uh, mediocre people, and exceptional people. Um, so, um, you know, I, I believe that the Scripture says that God is not willing that any perish but all come to repentance. So he wants that person to come to him, but they have uh, most likely, you know, calloused their own heart um, so that they're... Uh, being antagonistic towards what you say and what you do. Any other questions? Stand with me. Let's pray. I have heard that uh, some of you have had opportunities to uh, engage with people, um, and, and some uh, some of the information that you've been uh, getting from these messages has been helpful and that's the goal is that um it prepares you not to argue with people uh but to love them um you know and and so as i said at the very beginning and i'll just reiterate it um a person to be loved is way more important than an argument to be won so our goal is not to win arguments our goal is not to you're not going to argue people into the kingdom we love them into the kingdom by showing them the truth when people come to us and have genuine uh questions and concerns or when they most people are just parakeets they just they repeat do parakeets or parrots do anyway that's not important birds they just repeat what they've been told 
toddlers. There you go. That's a good example. They're just spiritual toddlers. They just repeat what they've heard. And so they don't know what the real position is. Well, it's just sincerity is all that matters. They, they're just repeating what they've been told. They don't know that that's completely ridiculous, and it doesn't work in anything else. Um, so just be praying. Uh, pray that the Lord would draw people, um, help you, give you the words to say, um, put people in your path. Um, and because God loves them and he wants to have a relationship with them. Um, you know, I, I think that, you know, I, I look at, at the, the shows and the Quimby family is a perfect example. God put these two families together and des- I mean, eternal destinies were forever changed. Um, and, uh, and not just your family, but also the people that have been impacted by your families. Um, and that's the power of a conversation. Um, that's the power of loving somebody enough to say, you know what, uh, I love you too much to let you uh, stay in this situation, or I, you know, I, I want you to hear the truth. I want you to know the truth. I want you to experience the truth because Jesus is the truth. And, uh, and that's our goal is that we love people enough to, uh, to be willing to share the truth with them. Let's pray. Father, we love you. We thank you that you have saved us and set us free, that you've chosen us for such a time as this. We pray that you would put us in, in the path of others that need to hear the gospel, need to be encouraged, need prayer. Um, Lord, they're living in deception, and we pray, God, that you would give us the right words to say and that we wouldn't be flustered if they're antagonistic. We wouldn't be frustrated if they don't accept Christ on the first conversation, but we'd be willing to engage them and love them and demonstrate that love so that they can see there's something different about us, and that difference is you in our lives. So, Father, we pray for your hand of protection upon us. Uh, Go with us to our homes, our workplaces, our neighborhoods. Make us salt and light. We thank you, Lord. We're going to have a great celebration of your goodness and your grace together as a church family on Sunday. We love you, Lord. Be exalted and glorified. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.